Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. I am so honored. You guys are in for a treat to have one of our overseers, um, Pastor Dan Lord, all the way from St. Louis, Missouri, Grace Life Chapel, an amazing, thriving, um, growing, life-giving church. Um, I found out on Friday night he was having a graduation party for his daughter, um, got up the next morning and drove, hosted 100-plus people, did all the yard work, mulching, trimming, sh- hedges, guys, like... When we're having people over, we gotta get everything just right. So we did all that work, partied Friday night, drove here all day yesterday, serving us today. Tomorrow, he's driving to Memphis, I just found out, to speak at a youth conference. And he is here with us today. Um, He's been a mentor in my life. Anytime I've made a big change, he's spoken to it. Um, He's impacted Avenue Church long before we had a name for Avenue Church. Would you guys give it up for my friend and brother, Pastor Dan Lord? Come on. God bless you. Thank you, everybody. Well, it's a joy to get to be here and worship with your church family today. And I bring a lot of love uh, from St. Louis, from our church family. Our church has been praying for you all weekend long. And our church is a little older. We're turning 40 this year. So you guys are only a couple of two, two and a half years old, two and a half years old. And so someday you'll be, you know, about to be over the hill like our church. So we're excited to be partnering with you in this work of the gospel, uh, building God's great church. And as your pastor mentioned, we've known each other for many years And I'm just so proud of them. And the word that kept coming to my heart is I felt like I need to commend you. You know, I have a message I want to preach. But before I do that, I want to just have a little family time to say how proud I am as an older brother in the Lord of you and your wife and your family and the sacrifices that you all have made and the way you've been committed to fulfilling the vision that God put in your heart to start a church to reach people. And I remember I was talking with someone after the first gathering this morning. She, she was, you know, sharing how the church has impacted their lives and, and all this. And I thought, thank God, because I was telling Pastor Stephen, it doesn't matter there's COVID. Start the church. And then I thought, oh, God, we got off the phone and done hanging out. I told my wife, I said, I sure hope it works. <laughs> and so I looked at her this morning and I said, you were one of the people that was waiting on their obedience. And I'm so glad they stepped out in faith. And not only do I want to commend them as pastors and leaders, but I want to commend you as a church family for not only starting a church, but sustaining a church. Anybody can start something, but you have started and have continued on in the work of building God's house. And, and, and it's incredible to see what God is doing here in your lives and through your church. So come on, can we thank God for this awesome church that God has put you in and, and given you to be a part of. And I'd like to remind uh, you today, I'd like to remind you that this is not just a non-denominational church or an independent church, no. 
This is an interdependent church. So when your pastor talks about that, I'm one of the overseers, what does that really mean? What that means is we choose to do life together. We don't choose to do life alone. That we believe that our churches are stronger because of our relationship that we have with each other. And I know we use that term, you're like, you know, we want our kids to grow up and be independent, right? All the, any teenagers here are like, yes, I want to be independent of you, but that's really not a healthy mindset. What we're saying is, yes, grow up, be able to pay your own bills and move out, but we should never desire to live an independent life, to, but to be in, interdependent on each other, right? Someone's counting on you, and you're counting on them. And that's how we view each other in, in this relationship. So I bring greetings from our church family. And I want to bring uh, a picture of my family. If we could put a picture up. I've got five kids. You kind of see them there. That's our youngest, Ellie. And then that's Tate the Great up there who graduated and is now moving on to college days. So I bring a lot of love from our church family. So, well, grab your Bibles. We're going to jump into God's Word today. I've got a message. I hope that'll stick with you the rest of your life. Not because it's my words, but I believe God's word has the power to, to help us in our everyday life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I'll start off with a little, little story. Uh, I grew up in a church that was very tight-knit. And in our church, there was a, a, one particular family called the Cocos family. And Jim Cocos had several brothers. I think there were six brothers altogether. And when you saw one Cocos you, you knew what all the other Cocuses looked like. How many of you know a family that's like that? They all kind of look the same, right? And so Jim, you know, his brothers didn't go to our church, but I'd be in a hardware store, be out at a restaurant. I'd look across the restaurant, and you could just tell they had kind of the unibrow. Y'all know when the eyebrows grow together? Y'all don't know? You've never seen anybody like that? You're like, we don't talk about people that way. <laughs> okay, laugh a little. Come on, we take God seriously, but not ourselves, you know? They, they had real thick eyebrows, just real distinct jaw, like their faces. All the brothers looked the same. And when you saw the parents, I knew his parents, his, his, his parents owned a plumbing company and his uncle was one of the co-owners. They, they worked together, the two older brothers. And, and so when you saw dad and uncle, guess, guess who they looked like? They looked like the sons. Maybe you've heard this phrase, like father. Y'all are already ruining my message. I'm trying to say it. Like, no, I'm teasing. Like father, like son, right? What walks in the father usually runs in the son. What you see in dad usually is gonna be happening generationally down the chain. And so it should be in our lives that if we have given our lives to Christ, if we've accepted Christ into our lives, the Bible teaches us that we are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. We're not just adopted into God's family. We, we become part of God's family and we should reflect our heavenly father. That when people see our lives and when people come to the church, when, when, when people experience our touch on the outreach day, they ought to say, you look like Jesus. Are you one of Jesus' family members? Are you all with me today? Yeah. Right? Like, it ought to be like father, like the kids. And I want to I speak a message today that we see in Jesus' life. And the title of my message this weekend is Living on Mission. Not living on accident, but living a purpose-filled life. Living on mission. And when you, when you see Jesus' life, you see that. The Bible says that Jesus was put on trial in John 18, verse 37. They asked Jesus, are you a king then? And he answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. That doesn't sound like it was an accident. No, he says, for this purpose, for this cause I was born. And for this cause I've come into the world. 
that I should bear witness to the truth. My purpose was to be a witness to the truth. How many know you can't be a witness and be quiet? When you're a witness to something, you speak up for that. And Jesus says, I've come as a witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Jesus came on purpose, on mission. And and you and I have a mission as well. Can we pray before we go any further into God's word? God, we thank you for your word today. We know that you lift up your word above your name. We know that your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We know your word renews our mind and changes our thoughts, God. And I pray today as I speak that you'll take my words. Lord, multiply to every heart that needs to hear it today. May we each get what we need. If you agree, say amen today. Amen. Amen. So here Jesus says, I'm a witness to the truth. Then we see the apostle Paul. He tells Timothy that the church is not just another organization. How many of the church is not just a nonprofit? Church is not a charity. The church, Paul told Timothy, is the pillar of truth in a community. In a world we live in today, a lot of people say there is no truth. Truth is all relative to your perspective. Well, no, we know truth. There's actually a person, and his name is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and what? And the life. Can't get to the Father unless you come through Jesus. So Jesus came to be a witness to the truth. Then he says that, Paul tells Timothy, the church is the pillar of truth. So when you attach your life to Jesus and you get connected in God's house, guess what you're doing? You are helping to fulfill the mission why Jesus came here. How many know we all have one mission? Yeah, we all have different callings and all of us are uniquely called to different things. Some, there's some moms in the room. I can see some babies. There's some, you know, a calling to be a mom. I'll never have that calling, but I'm on the same mission as moms to raise children to know the Lord. Come on. We all, some of us are called to business, education, different arenas in life, but we're all on the same mission as Jesus Christ, to be witnesses to the truth, all right? And so here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about being kids of the kingdom, and how do we know we're living a life on purpose? See, you're not just a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian, or are you a kid that looks like your heavenly father? Y'all with me? You know there's a difference. We used to sing a song in in the church I grew up in. Our kids' ministry was called uh, Kids of the Kingdom. And we'd sing a song, Kids of the Kingdom, that's what we are. You like my little dance with it today too? (laughs) We would sing that little song. And every week in class, they would get to pick three boys or girls. And you'd want to be one of the kids that got to get up there and lead the song. And it would get to this part where you could say your name. And you'd say, my name is Dan. And I love the Lord. And then the next kid, and my name is Stephen, and I love the Lord. Right? And, and the third one said, and my name is Stephen, and I love the Lord. And then you would all say, and we love Jesus. You know, it was all real exciting. <laughs> the main point of that song was that we weren't just kids of the world. We weren't just Christians, but we were. We belong to a family, and our family has a purpose. We're kids of the kingdom. Yeah. And we love the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Some of you are like, this, this sermon is terrible. We got a guy singing kids songs and bring back our pastor. He'll be back in a couple weeks. Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, though, you can't receive the kingdom of God. So I know I've got a little silliness today, a little joy to try to cheer you up and help you receive God's word. But I don't want you to miss the point. What God's saying is when your life's put on trial like Jesus, would you be found guilty of being a, kid's, a king's kid? Or would you just be a Christian making it through the world? No, 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 God didn't want you just to get to heaven and arrive alive in heaven and just have fire insurance for hell. No, God wants you to live on purpose and get on mission with your life. 
God hasn't called anyone to be average, ordinary, to fit into this world. God called you to be part of the pillar of truth. God's got a mission for your life. So what I want to do is that I want to help you to know, how am I living on mission? Dan, am I off in any way? I love those kind of coaching questions. Is, is there anything I can do to be better? How many of you like to get coached? No one, right? Very few people like actual coaching because it means I need to improve. I always had two different kinds of coaches in sports. Some that just yelled at you and tell you you could do better and some that actually gave me tips on how to be better. Some that just wanted to win the game, I know, but how? Okay, so today here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at seven markers, seven targets of a life that's living on mission. And we're gonna find these from Psalm 84. So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn over there and we're gonna jump right in. We're gonna find these seven attributes of someone who's living on mission. Here we go, verse four. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you, Selah. Does anybody know what that word means? It means to stop, think about, meditate, don't rush on, go back and think about what we just read. How many know that must be pretty important? Have you ever been reading a book and you just, you're like, what did I just read? I don't even know. He's saying, hey, don't do that here. Let's go back. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to all read verse four out loud. Let's do it with a little enthusiasm today. Here we go. One, two, three. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Look at that connection. Beautiful. Verse five. Blessed, happy, fortunate are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. And we end with verse seven. They go from what? From strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. All right, so first marker of someone living on mission. Number one, they are devoted to God's house. Devoted to God's house. Verse four says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. That, that doesn't say blessed are those who have a casual relationship with the house of God. No, that word dwell in the Old Testament comes from nine different Hebrew words or phrases. To get a little fuller picture, one of the best mental pictures is that word would mean to sit down. Now, I've got a lazy boy recliner. A couple of things I can sell in life. I could sell Chick-fil-A if things go bad at the church. How many of you like Chick-fil-A? I can sell Toyotas, Hondas that you just weld the hood shut for 100,000 miles. I can sell Lazy Boy recliners. Anybody have a Lazy Boy? I have one, and I get real lazy when I'm in that chair. That's how they came up with the name, Lazy Boy. You know, once I sit down in that chair, it gets harder to get back up. How many you know gravity gets heavy after you sit down? Not only, not only does it get harder to get back up, the longer I sit there, the harder it is to get back up. Time seems to have like, well, no, I'm cozy here now, right? My little nine-year-old, sometimes she'll bring over a blanket. When she puts that blanket, she'll tuck me in sometimes. I think, oh, that's so sweet. Then she snuggles in. How many know it just gets harder and more difficult to get up out of that recliner? That's what he's saying here. Blessed are those who sit down in my house, who get real cozy in my house. And the longer you're there, the better it gets for you because you're, you're not, you don't have a casual relationship. You, you've planted your life. There's other scriptures that maybe are familiar that if your roots grow down deep, you're gonna, you're gonna flourish. Blessed are those who are planted in the house of God. What does planted mean? It means I have roots that go down deep that, that when the storms of life come, my life is not gonna fall apart. 
But when you're planted in God's house, when you dwell in God's house, when you're devoted to God's house, it says that you'll flourish in, in the courts of our God. A lot of people want their lives to flourish, but God's house is not a priority in their lives. Maybe that's you today. You're like, hey, Dan, I come like, you know, kind of come when it works. I want to encourage you to change that. When you make God's priorities your priorities, guess what happens? You begin to see God's favor and blessing in your life in a different way than if you just kind of follow your own system. God told us, remember the Sabbath day to do what? Keep it holy. When you give God the first day of your week and you set it aside to worship him and to encourage others and to serve others, guess what happens? Monday's gonna be better and Tuesday's gonna be better and every other day of the week's gonna be better. Why? Because you prioritize what God prioritized. And that's true of anything in our life. When we get God's principles, our life will be better. So this big one's important. That word devoted, I chose it on purpose. They are devoted to God's house. That's different than a, than a dedicated word. See, when we, when, we, when we have an infant, we'll take that baby and we'll dedicate to the Lord. Say, God, this is your child. You gave us this child and we're gonna raise it according to your word, God. That's beautiful. But how I many know that means nothing if that child doesn't then devote themselves to God's house? If they don't devote themselves to the word of God, if they don't give their life to Christ, it doesn't matter what the parents said in the beginning. At some point, that young person has to say, God, I now choose to devote my life to what your purpose is. And that's what God's looking for, for us to live lives that are devoted to his house. In our church, we do this little challenge called the seven-week challenge. Anybody interested in knowing what it is? Okay, whether you were or not, I was going to tell you about it. <laughs> Here's what the seven-week challenge is. It just as simply is like if church has kind of not been as important as maybe it should be, that for seven weeks you just say, you know what, for these next seven weeks, Pastor, I'm going to prioritize God's house, and I'm going to do my very best not to miss one weekend gathering. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite seven friends, and I'm going to stay for seven minutes after you say, God bless you, have a good day. Oh, those are the longest seven minutes sometimes. But you know what happens too many times? We don't prioritize it. And because we never make a commitment, we never get the blessing of a commitment. See, you become what you commit your life to. There's never a great marriage without commitment. No one builds a great business without commitment. You don't get a great education unless you do your homework. Y'all with me today? See, when you commit your life, you say, seven weeks, God, unless there's an emergency, I'm not going to play in golf. I'm not going to go to the lake. I'm not, listen, none, nothing wrong with those things. But when, when, you, when you make that kind of commitment, what will happen seven weeks from now, you're going to be able to tell me, Dan, every day of my week is different because I put God first. Y'all tracking with me? I know you guys are all perfect attenders already. But maybe next weekend, take that Sabbath week and then come back and say, you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm going to stop asking my husband. I'm going to stop asking my friend, are you going to church tomorrow? I'm going to just say, I'm going to take the question mark off and say, I'm, I'm, I'm a person who sits and dwells in God's house. Amen? All right, here's the second one. Number two, they're full of praise and thanksgiving. Boy, that's a good target to be shooting for. Verse four says, they're ever praising you. Ever praising you. Not like every once in a while, not 50% of the time, but all the time, ever, every single day, praising God. I know I missed that, Mark. How many of you are with me? Oh, boy, I don't live up to that, but I want to encourage you not to be a 50%er. Well, mostly, Dan, I'm, I've got good in my mouth. No, here's what Jesus said. You can't both have good water and bad water coming out of the same spring. If it's bad, 
then all the water's bad. How I many you know good and bad don't go together? You, you, you mess up the water, you've messed up the water. And what Jesus is trying to tell us is, hey, make sure you're, you're full of good things. Let the good things that I've given you come out of your mouth in praise. It's one thing to think, it's another thing to say it. In my family growing up, it was a very negative environment. I had heard a lot of things from a lot of people. My principal, she was not a real positive person in grade school. How many of you had one of those leaders like, how'd you get to be the boss? You know, my mom would say things, a very negative home, very skeptical, you know the word I'm trying to say. You know, just demeaning, hard environment, harsh environment, not a lot of encouragement. And so in my life, it's real easy for me to just be down in the mouth, to see the, the glass half empty instead of seeing the glass half full. And I've had to train myself to wake up every day. God, thank you for another day to be alive. God's a good God. God, you've given me another chance to do what you've called me to do. And, and Lord, I thank you for today. How many know it's easy just to be silent, but silent is not praise. And I want to encourage you, if you grew up like me in a negative environment, hey, it's not going to change by being quiet. You're going to have to let the praise come out. And you know what happens is you begin to praise God, good things begin to happen. We used to sing this little song in church when, when I was young. It was, it was called, uh, well, it's the joy of the Lord is my strength. Anybody ever heard that song, the little kid's song? It's kids' church today, everybody. And, and I remember looking up at these older people singing it, and they'd sing, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I thought, if that's joy, I don't want any of that. <laughs> no, no, what was happening is they were saying the right words, but there wasn't any joy in the expression of their praise. And, but that song is true. See, when you begin to praise God, even if you're having a tough time, you begin to praise God. I'll tell you, you could be going through the darkest season. My wife and I have been through some tough seasons. I remember we lost, you know, some of our pregnancies. Dark seasons, stuff that happened to us that we thought, that only happens to other people. But you know what? As you begin to praise God, God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the children we do have. As you begin to praise God, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. What happens is the joy of the Lord comes and you begin to get his strength in your life. Come on, how many of you know the joy of the Lord? You can't buy it. It's one of the greatest gifts that God gives us is to, to have the joy that only comes from him. All right, here's the third one. It goes right with that one. Number three, it says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. So we could say they are humble and they walk in God's strength. Yes, the joy of the Lord is our strength, but God doesn't give grace to the proudful. No, it says that when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, that he'll do what? He'll lift us up at, at just the right time. I want to encourage you. You're having a tough day. I have those days I, I go home and my kids don't need to know everything I've been dealing with all day long. And I'm just kind of done. Anybody ever day, a day when you're just done? Sometimes I'll tell my wife that she'll say, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm done. And there's just no more gas in the tank. I, I don't have any, I don't feel like I have any more love to give. I don't feel like I have any more patience. I'm done. And that's like, no, I've got to find some. Well, where does it come from? I can't tap into my own strength. I need God's strength. How do I get it? I just simply close my eyes before I get out of the car and say, God, I need your help to go be dad. I need your help to be husband. I don't have any more in me. I am D-O-N-E done, and I need some right now. And what happens? Just simply asking, God never turns us away. He always brings his strength. Amen? Think about Samson. 
He brought a lot of bad things into his life and he had caused a lot of harm in his life and he was the strongest person to ever live. And the Bible says he began to realize the error of his way. And, and, and what happened is he prayed one last time. He said, oh God, would you please one more time give me the strength that I need. I promise you, if God will do it for Samson, he's no respecter of persons. And when you pray and you ask God for strength, he'll give you the strength that you need when you walk humbly before him. Can I get amen? Amen. All right, number four, they're dedicated to significance. The fourth marker here today. They're dedicated to significance. Verse five says they have their hearts set on a pilgrimage. What is a pilgrimage? A pilgrimage is a journey to somewhere significant. How many of you like road trips? Like road trips? I like road trips. Road trips, you get all the snacks and you gotta get all packed and you get everything. There's a lot of work that goes into it. Why? Because you're going somewhere special. I want you to think about that. People who are living on mission aren't just living for the place they're in right now, but they can see a vision of a preferable future. They're like, I know it's great right here, but God's got me on a mission somewhere better. How many of you are believing for somewhere better? I'm believing for somewhere better for my family, for my kids, for my faith, for my spiritual life, my relationship with God, for my church family. Come on, I want to encourage you. Get filled up with vision for your life. I'm so thankful for your pastors. They, they don't just have like, well, God gave us this little building and we got this group of people and we're done. No, they have their hearts set on we are going somewhere great for God. We're gonna reach every person. Until there's traffic jams, we got work to do on Sunday morning. I mean, no traffic today in Nashville. No traffic in Murphy. Last night we couldn't get, it's like, can't get in a restaurant. Until church is that way, your pastors are never gonna stop wearing you out. Like, need you to serve, need you to get involved. Can y'all please do something around here? By the way, we gotta serve that. You can sign up, scan the thing on. They're not gonna stop. You're like, would he just stop? No, he's never gonna stop. You know why? And he makes no apologies for that. That's awesome. You really wouldn't want him any other way. Come to church. What's the church doing? Nothing. Don't need anybody to be involved because we have no dream of nothing. How many of you are thankful for a pastor who's got his heart set on a pilgrimage of deduce? Come on, we all do a little better today. Set on pilgrimage. When I think about your pastors, I think about David in 2 Chronicles 2, verse 5. He said, the temple I'm going to build for the Lord will be great. Why? Because our God is greater than all the other gods. I want to encourage you in your relationship with your church and supporting your pastors. Hey, just act excited even if you're not when they share vision. Why? Because God's a great God and he deserves a great church. Your pastors know that and so they will never tire from building God's great church. And I want to encourage you, join them in that vision. Join them with that kind of attitude. Jesus, the Bible says in John 2, 17, his disciples remembered that it was written about him, a zeal for your house will consume me. When was the last time you got consumed for what God's consumed with? Boy, that's a good question to wrestle with. Am I really consumed with the mission why Jesus came to earth to set our hearts on pilgrimage, to go somewhere significant? All right, number five, we're coming down the end. Number five, they refuse to get stuck in a season. How do you know you're living on mission? You're not stuck in 1997. You're not stuck in 2015. You're not stuck in COVID. How many know somebody's stuck in COVID? Like it's over, let's go. Right, don't get stuck in a season. Some of us get stuck in, in a painful moment in life somewhere. 
want to encourage you, don't get stuck there. Don't let what happened to you cause you to live your life there. No, God's got better for you. It's time to come out of that wilderness and go into the promised land. God's got good for you. They say about husbands, when a, when a guy gets married, maybe you've never heard this important statistic, gentlemen. Let me help you out here. They say the year that a couple gets married, the husband's wardrobe gets stuck on that year. I see some people pointing at their husbands. I'm just gonna look up to heaven right now. Right? Whatever shoes they got when they got married, that's gonna be their style for the next 45, 50 years. Isn't that funny? We're funny, aren't we? Creatures of habit. Get done. We're not, we don't have to impress our wife anymore. We've got her. We've won the trophy. So now we can just go with what worked. Isn't that hilarious? Guys get stuck in a season. Let me encourage you. It's, it's, it's kind of funny about us as humans, like in a way, but it's also dangerous that we could get stuck somewhere in the past. And I want to remind you, God's mercies aren't there in the past. They're made new where? Every day especially if it's been some negative situation that you've battled through. I want to encourage you, don't live there. Live today because God's mercies are made new when? Every day. The strength God has for me to, to deal with the past isn't back there. The strength is in the day that I have been given right here. So let's not get stuck. Come on, tell your neighbor, don't get stuck. Don't get stuck in a season. All right, here's the last two. If the worship team will come help me. Number six, they have an ownership mentality and they make it happen. Psalm 84, verse six says, as they pass through the valley of Baca, notice they, they don't stay there, they pass through, and what do they do as they go through? They make it a place of spring. They make it a place of springs. I like to remind our church that God didn't call you to be a thermometer. We all know what a thermometer does. It takes the temperature. Oh, it's hot outside. How many you know, love the weather in the summer in, in, in this part of the country? You watch the weather at night on TV or you look at your phone. Yep, hot, muggy, sunny, chance of rain. Ding, good job, meteorologist, right? It, it was hot today. Good, we all know that. Now, God didn't call us to state the facts. God wants us to be like a thermostat. We take the temperature and we change the temperature of the environment we're in. When we encounter racist thoughts and people that are, looking down on someone because the, the way they were born, their skin color, we say, no, 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 time out. I'm a king's kid here. I, I, we, don't, we don't do things that way at Avenue Church. Maybe you're used to that in the world, but you're in the kingdom of God here. We don't do it that way. How many of you are thankful for a kingdom-minded church? We love every race. We love every person. We, that would be a good time for an amen, everybody. Uh, that would be a good time for a hand clap. Yeah, thank God for a, a, a multinational-looking church. We're going to look like heaven already right here in Murfreesboro. How do you know every church doesn't look like your church? Okay, maybe you haven't been around, but they don't. There's unicultural churches that are out there. No, we, we encounter poverty, and we don't accept poverty. One of our church locations is we just opened it last year in a little town called DeSoto, Missouri. It's about 22 minutes from our original location. It's one of the poorest towns in all the state of Missouri. People, when I told some people that that's where our second location of our church was, they'd say, well, why are you going there? One of the guys, is the he was the second in command for our entire county, the assistant chief of, of the sheriff's department. He said, Dan, don't you know about all the crime there? Don't you know about all the drug problems? Don't you know about the night walkers? 
These guys just is zombies, drug addicts, just walking the streets at night. He said, don't you, don't, you, don't you know about all that? Why do you want to go there? I said, sounds exactly like why we should go there. Well, God didn't call us to go to the richest, fanciest part of the world. God called us to be thermometers and thermostats. Take the temperature, change the temperature. Right? So it is in your life. How do you know you're on mission? You're not accepting life the way it comes. You're saying, thank you for that, but God's got a different future, and you're going to be a part of it. And we're going to make it different. Amen? Here's the last one. Number seven, they grow progressively stronger. The Bible teaches us that we go from strength to strength, from glory to glory. Come on, from victory to victory. And if we're honest, from some defeats back to victories. Sometimes defeat, defeat, defeat to victory. Anybody live in the real world? It's not always amazing. It's not always incredible. My word's awesome that I use. Your pastor's is incredible. Mine's awesome. That's awesome, awesome, awesome. How many know it's not always awesome? But if you'll fight life through, if you'll keep living on mission, what'll happen? You'll find yourself in a different place. You'll say, how did I get here? Do you know how it was when I grew up? Do you know where I was when I was 30? Do you know where I was when I was 40? And you'll look up one day, you'll be old, and you'll say, thank you, God. I chose to live with you as number one in my life. I embraced my mission to grow the kingdom of God. And now look where I'm at. Say, how do I get there? Let me show you how Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27 says it. He says, it shall come to pass in that day that this burden shall depart from off your shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed by reason of fatness. Never read a verse on Sunday morning, I bet, here at Avenue Church with the word fatness in it. What's the scripture talking about? It's talking about an oxen that the farmer takes two oxen and he's got to plow the field in agricultural society without John Deere's, right? And he puts that, that, that burden over his neck, big wooden plank. Maybe you've seen one outside of a cracker barrel, right? And the big wooden stick that went, would go down under the oxen's neck and it was heavy and he would stand behind it and he could then harness the strength of that oxen and the oxen didn't have a choice. It had to go where the farmer wanted him to go. But this verse is saying the, the bondage that you're in will be broken off, not, not because of something, some miracle happened. It'll happen because of fatness, strength. You see, the oxen didn't just in one day grow to a place where it broke off the yoke. What happened is that oxen began to plow and said, I'm devoting my life to going somewhere significant. I'm going to prioritize God's house. I'm going to dwell in God's house. I got in, a, I got in a small group. I started doing Bible study with friends and I started serving, making a difference. And yeah, I kept doing that. And yep, I kept worshiping. And yep, I kept praying. And yep, I kept sinking God. I kept having my daily quiet time with God. And when I was weak, I said, God, I need strength. And, and, and I just kept plowing and kept eating and kept getting the grain and kept getting the grass fed and go sleep at night and then get up and do it all again the next day. And all of a sudden, next thing, you know, the farmer's like, what happened to my oxen? It broke off the, the yoke that was controlling him. And that's how it's been in my life. I can tell you it's not been in one moment that all of a sudden I arrived. Oh, look where I'm at. Miracle happened. Time machine. No, there's no shortcut. But if you'll dedicate yourself to get on a journey to somewhere significant, you'll find yourself there. If you just keep plowing, come on, keep plowing, keep plowing, keep your head down, keep praying. Come on, how many know it's the simple things? Just faithfulness again and again and again and again. And what will happen? You'll find freedom 
that can't come any other way. That comes through the anointing that breaks off the yoke off of our lives. Amen. Come on, do you receive God's word in your heart? Can we thank God for his word today? Come on, let's put our hands together. Thank God. Lord, we thank you for your word today, God. Father, I pray today for those right now. Right now, you've got your finger on some area. Somebody's stuck in the past. Someone's thinking about, I'm just not, I'm not where I should be in my relationship with your house. Someone's struggling and is not feeling so strong today. Lord, we know your strength. Your strength, God, in just a moment, you renew our strength so that we we run like a young person, God. We, you renew our strength. We fly like an eagle, God. We can soar again. Father, I pray for every person that's here, whatever you may be dealing with them about, God, that we would hear your word today. We'd hear your voice today, and we'd be faithful to obey what you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Pastor, would you come? Thank you. Can we give Pastor Dan another round of applause? Thank you.